and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits for, of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursti bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son whom he delights. So as we look again at the Proverbs, it's good to remember that they are more than just a bunch of insightful statements. All Proverbs are short, pithy sayings, but the biblical ones are, of course, divine revelation too. They are authoritative. Peter quoted them in both of his epistles, and Hebrews and James and Romans all quote them too. So they're as relevant today as they were to Israel, if not more so, because we understand them more fully, this side of the cross. We see them more clearly in the light of Christ's accomplishments. And most of them are very snappy, so the book of Proverbs is a bit like Solomon's collection of wise tweets from his own verified Twitter account. So if you just scroll back to the very first one, there you read, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Sometimes I search Twitter for wise sayings but there's precious little wisdom there, to be honest. There are a fair few twits on Twitter. Have you found that? So maybe if someone was to open an account with the handle at Solomon, son of David, and just start tweeting all the verses from the 31 chapters of Proverbs, it would add some wisdom to Twitter. Is that a wise idea? Maybe, maybe not. But if we just concentrate for now on the wisdom on the book itself and pick up on one of Solomon's most famous tweets, what is he mainly addressing here in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? I believe it's a short statement about faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Or in the version a while back that I learned by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So this is a message to all who are believers in Yahweh about 
the relational obligations within our secure relationship with him, that our loving obligations towards him are to trust him with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding and to acknowledge him in all our ways. And that in verse 6, his loving obligation to us is to make our paths straight. Who remembers a year in their childhood that kind of stands out in a special way? And if there is one in particular, then hold on to that thought and perhaps share it with someone over a cup of coffee after. Maybe we can be a bit nostalgic when we look back. Or maybe there really was a specific year where you enjoyed a good, healthy dose of innocent pleasure. Well, for me, 1988 stands out, I think, for lots of reasons. But one of them being that something really big came to Scotland that year. And I remember it being a ton of fun. It came to Glasgow for five months that year. Anyone else remember the Garden Festival? It was opened by Charles and Diana, no less. Yeah, way back then. And the Glasgow Garden Festival, for many, lived up to its slogan, a day out of this world. Visiting Urwali's garden was a particular highlight. I think my mum still got a photo somewhere of me sitting on his bucket while he held a muddy football out next to me. Jinx. When comic strips came to life. And, there, and then there was the Coca-Cola roller roller coaster when a bit of Disneyland came to the Clyde. And my sister and I got thrown around from pillar to post all over the festival and reduced even the loudest of jocks beforehand to something more closely resembling Casper the Friendly Ghost upon stepping off. But in amongst all the colour and display, there's also a little memory of something in a show house that engrossed me at the time. It was when you went upstairs that you could see downstairs, since the whole upper floor was made of toughened glass. And I'd never seen anything like it before. Proverbs 3, 5 says that our loving obligation is to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Well, I didn't trust that glass floor with all my heart. No chance. Who wants to end up falling into the kitchen units below? And then a nice man next to me picked up on my hesitation, and he bent down and said quietly, 
Look at that big guy walking around on the floor. He's not breaking the glass, is he? So it's not going to break under your weight, is it? Except I was thinking, yeah, but it might do it under my weight and his weight combined. But then more and more people began walking around in it and there didn't seem to be any cracks appearing on the surface. So very gingerly, I stepped out very slowly on my tiptoes as if that was going to make any difference. But very gradually, my confidence grew and I began to trust the floor with all my weight, with all my heart. I no longer felt tense and finally I relaxed. When Proverbs talks about putting all your trust in the Lord, do you ever feel a bit like I did that day in 1988? Like you can't fully relax in your trusting in the Lord. Hasn't your life's experience taught you to be somewhat skeptical about putting your whole trust into anything? I mean, would you even put half your trust today in someone who said, trust me? But maybe you did. And that's the reason you're more skeptical than ever. Because it didn't go well. If anyone ever says those words, then EastEnders bad boy Grant Mitchell immediately comes to mind. I'm showing my age. But whenever he was about to do anything sneaky or risky or wrong, and the person he was with looked hesitant, then he'd say, just trust me. Trust me, all right. Just trust me. And it never went all right for any of those poor standers. And surely you remember the song in the Jungle Book, Trust in Me, Just in Me. While that snake is throttling the life out of the little one he's crooning to. Even God Himself says in Jeremiah 17:5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. So surely there is a place for skepticism. Even the Bible encourages it. Always be careful who you trust and in what you trust. And the Lord himself really wants to earn your trust before you put your trust in him. He wants to prove to you each and every day That his word, the Bible, is trustworthy. That what you read in his word makes sense of the the world as it presently stands. 
and of the many struggles you experience, the many longings you have, the great rescue that you need. He wants to earn your trust with how consistent the Bible is from cover to cover. And that his many promises are eventually always fulfilled. Such as the great promise of the Old Testament to send a saviour that was repeated from Genesis through Malachi. And whom he did send at the beginning of the new And also that his warnings too are always to be taken seriously. Because you see the judgments that he's carried out already in redemption history. On the unrighteousness of men. God never messes around when he speaks. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? But you can walk gingerly, if you like, for a while on his words, on the word of God being worthy of your trust. But he doesn't want you to be walking around on your tippy toes for long, as it were. Always slightly suspicious of being let down. And once the Lord has earned your trust, he aims to keep it forever. By proving himself immutable in his trustworthiness. Unchanging in his word, his character. No matter what day of the week or month in the year or year in the calendar, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So to trust in the Lord with all your heart means to trust in his word with all your heart. And then don't lean on your own understanding either. That means never trusting in your own feelings when they contradict the Bible's teaching. It means not listening to your heart when it leans away from God's word. When your own understanding tells you to do something that you know the Bible says is wrong. In case you didn't realize, you are more than capable of letting yourself down. Whereas only the Lord and only his word can fully bear the weight of your trust and not let you down. When Peter made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah in the Gospels, 
It came after Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how did Jesus then respond? In Matthew 16, 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter's confession didn't come from his own understanding. It never came from a mere human understanding. It was divine revelation. And he trusted in the Lord and he confessed the word of God before Jesus and the other disciples. But just a few verses later, Jesus goes on to explain that because he is the Christ, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He actually scolded the Son of God and said to him, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And so Peter went from trusting in the Lord and his word to leaning on his own understanding scarily quick. And not only was Peter's understanding wrong, it was also very dark because Jesus recognized the influence of the evil one on him now. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. But for Peter, it just felt so right for him to say this. After all, he had just been highly commended for confessing Jesus' true identity. But then immediately it seems he got too big for his boots, didn't he? And came back down to earth with more than a lounge singer shimmer. With one almighty bump. When the word of Jesus hadn't been to his liking, he challenged the Lord himself and told him he was wrong. And that's actually what you and I do when we don't like something in the word of God. We lean on our own understanding and tell Jesus that he's wrong. And the influence of the enemy is near. However, none of this is to dismiss our understanding that's been renewed by the word. Paul says in Romans 12 that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, doesn't he? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're not to throw away our sanctified understanding, our Bible-informed thinking. Quite the opposite. We're to grow in understanding and use our sanctified common sense. Proverbs itself says in 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So the Lord gives understanding. It's just not our own understanding. It's a wisdom that springs up from the word. It's not an understanding that's ever divorced from the word. So use the renewed mind God's given you. The Holy Spirit delights to open up the word to you for understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. In the middle of the word acknowledge, you find the word know. And that would seem to be a helpful way to grasp its meaning. So in all your ways, acknowledge him. Include him in everything you do. Talk to him about everything. In all your ways, desire his presence. Is he not your best and most trusted friend? The friend of sinners. The best friend of both you and me. Now, Mark Twain was a clever chap. And he had something to say about faith. Faith is believing... What you know ain't so. Except that's a really dumb thing to say. That's a really dumb faith tweet. He lent on his own understanding there, I think. Because faith isn't believing what you know ain't so. Faith is believing what you know is so. Charles Spurgeon said, faith is not a blind thing, for faith begins with knowledge. Then what about this faith tweet from Thomas Boston? Faith is the soul going out of itself for all of its wants. That's true understanding, I think. And what our verses here are really getting at, that the wise live by faith in the Lord entirely, exclusively, and exhaustively. And those are the obligations of faith in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So then what's the outcome of your faith? 
The outcome of your faith, according to verse 6, is that the loving obligation of the divine partner is to make your paths straight. Your life's path, your ways, your life will be less crooked. You will know his peace and security and be blessed with a wisdom that comes from the Lord. You're no longer darkened in your understanding or alienated from the life of God due to your hardness of heart. Ephesians 4.18 You enjoy less confusion and you understand the gospel and are endlessly staggered by it. Never tire of hearing it. that he will make your path straight is a promise that your life will no longer be like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. James 1.6 You will enjoy fellowship with God and other believers on Sundays. And if you are available for them at Grace Church Connect groups and DNA groups as well. And your relationship with God can grow more intimate all through the week in your personal devotions with him. But he does not promise you, however, material prosperity as a transaction for your faith or bodily health in this life. There are certainly temporal blessings that result from wise and generous living as Proverbs 3, 7 to 10 reveal. He does send good things. He really does. But he also sends pain, verse 11. And we're told not to despise that. His discipline and correction. Because it's all part of earthly straight path living. So you need to accept the rough out of God's love for you as his child. Discipline is never fun, but it increases your joy later. And you must accept the smooth out of God's love for you too. For not to despise material gifts. Straight path living is not the self-denial of physical pleasures. When the Lord makes straight your paths, he helps you learn the secret of contentment in Philippians 4.12 whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So when the barns are empty and the wine has run out, as it were, does that mean the Lord has stopped blessing you? No. Straight path living isn't obsessive over the passing pleasures of health, wealth, and prosperity. 
Because when they go, and they will go, your relationship with Yahweh remains. And that's your eternal health and wealth. He's your everlasting prosperity, never failing in his tenderness for you and the protection of your soul and the giver of pleasures in his presence forevermore. And when it comes to decision-making, base them on the biblical wisdom God has given you up till now. Pray over them, but don't worry about them, because he will make your path straight. He'll get you where you need to get to. Right now, you're exactly where God has willed you to be. And tomorrow, trust in his loving providence that even if you do something really dumb, that God will fix it for you, forgive you for it. And the more we trust in the Lord and lean on his word and prayer in a relational way, the wiser, kinder, and less selfish our decisions will be. And all our straight path living will be calmer, more assured, not arrogant or presumptuous, but serenely confident in the Lord. Corey Tenboom once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. What a wise lady. Your faith is rooted in a known God. And it knows that if you love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for good for your good, even the bad things, even your mistakes and your sins, even your bad decisions, ultimately work together for your good, along with all the wise decisions that you've made. They all work together for good because God is so gracious and so lavish and his love for you. So rest your weary heart in his. Flop your whole weight onto him, like you flop all your weight on your bed at night. Relax your whole self on him. Sink all your weight into Jesus like he's a big recliner sofa from DFS. Come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, he said, and I will make you sweat. I will make you fret. No, he didn't. He said, and I will give you rest. So lie back, feet up. You can put all your weight on him. He won't break. Throw all of your weight into his loving arms because Jesus is more than able to carry it. Jesus will carry his bride, the church, over the threshold one day without wobbling. Because you do trust the Lord, don't you? You believe he paid for all your sins, don't you? Or is your heart still prone to think, Jesus paid the 99%, 1% I owe? Or Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. All to him I trust. You can trust him for all the work he's done for you, not what you can do for him. Because he trusted in his Father, the Lord, with all his heart. While in reality, none of us ever have. We've always fallen short. But he never did. No pockets of rebellion in his heart. Certainly no time when he lent on a darkened understanding. And in all his ways, he did acknowledge the Lord and desired his presence in all their ways. Jesus never stopped trusting in that plan of salvation for you. He set his face resolutely for Jerusalem because he desired to die on the cross for you in order to make your path straight, straight into a secure relationship with him and justify you fully, both now and always. You can rest in him because he was restless in Gethsemane for what he was about to accomplish for you. He sweated for you, big blood-like drops for the agony that lay ahead 
of him to achieve it. And he entrusted himself to the only way it could be done. Because you can be sure if there, if there had been an easier way, the Father would have surely granted his beloved Son another way. But in his prayer, as he faced the pit of hell that was the cross, he plunged right in. Not my will, but yours be done, he cried. That was his trust in the Lord with all his heart. And for the joy that was set before him, he did that. For he knew after his sacrifice that joy lay before him. The joy of bringing you home with him to the Father. And Jesus' joy was all the more increased at the resurrection because he'd been through hell on the cross. He had known beforehand that it would all work out, and it did. He had faced his father's judgment for something he hadn't done. But that paid in full his bride's lack of trust and lack of faith. Our failure to stop leaning on our own understanding. Our lack of acknowledging him in all our ways. So that now we can fully relax on that big sofa of trust. And people from every corner of the earth can gather there and rest in him. From every kind of upbringing, from every earthly father who broke their trust and broke their heart. And for every understandably skeptical heart. And also every depression or despair that his bride has felt scattered throughout last week, now gathered in worship to rest in him. Faith tweets from Proverbs are precious for one greater than Solomon is here. Amen. Let's stand and 